0: Listener Production <clears throat> Take it away my Dulcet toned Adonis
1: Wait, 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 let's warm up with some Britney scales Ow, 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 ow,
0: ow, ow. ow. No, no, you got to do in the little Ow, 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 ow ah. like that. Right. Now you do it as Cher <laughs> Alright, take it away my dulcet-toned Adonis. <clears throat>
1: Uh, Hello and welcome to Just The Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. And I almost forgot what I needed to say then because it's been quite a while since we recorded.
0: (laughs) My bad. That's (laughs) on me. My bad. (laughs) All right, everyone. Yes, sorry. We're meant to be weekly-ish. I mean, well, weekly and then weekly-ish. But, um, you know. I've had some issues which have meant we've had to postpone a couple of episodes. Um, And, you know, I think it's important to talk about this stuff. I posted on my Instagram about it that I've just, you know, I suffer from anxiety and I just had a particularly big flare up of it and um, felt like I needed to step back from some work stuff, which meant devastated, devastated. I missed the RuPaul's Drag Race premiere, which, (laughs) Mm. um, but I just sort of knew I had some shows coming up in Sydney and just like, I find, you know, too much traveling and too much sort of overwhelming stuff before I have some big work stuff to do. I can, it can exacerbate things and I just needed to step back for a bit. So I just didn't do the podcast and I, um, tried to just concentrate on getting ready for the shows in Sydney which ended up going effing great mm-hmm. by the way they were super duper fun thanks for everyone who came particularly the people who came on the saturday and got to see my nephew trying to steal <laughs> the He was show. upstaging you he really again and was. again <laughs> cuz he was so desperate to see what I do for a living and and so I was like oh okay look he can he can come and watch the first 10 minutes but you know there's some like dirty stuff in it so then he just has to go backstage and play on my phone or something which he did but then he figured out how to get from backstage to the curtains behind me on the stage Mm -hmm. and kept poking his head through which was just hilarious and cute and funny yeah and so that was really good and then we were going to record again yesterday but then (laughs) because just everything happens at once I've had some hip issues And I went to get an MRI and when the results came in, the doctor was like, oh, I'm not sure about that. I think you need to go get another um, diagnostic test, which was an ultrasound after putting a massive um, injection into my hip joint, which I did um, very unexpectedly the day before we were meant to record. And um, let me tell you, oofed, getting an Mm. injection in your hip joint is not pleasant. Mm. And I can see why they set it up really fast. Cause I just went into the MRI um, the day before, saw the doctor that morning. And then he said, I think you need to go get this injection. Why don't I book you in for an hour from now? And mm. I was like, Oh, okay. And so I just went and got lunch and then I went and got this injection and like, I think they do it. So you don't have time to Google it. So you won't know how bad it's going to be because mm-hmm. it was bad. First of all, Oh, okay, so um, you have to take off your bottom half, like mm-hmm. you can keep your undies on and then they have a towel that they have to tuck into your undies because what i didn't realize was i figured the injection into a hip is like on the side of your leg yeah. but where they inject for your hip is actually pretty much in the crease between your thigh and your groin oh, so like in between my th- line. Oh. yes yes it's right in there right oh. in between like your my thigh and like my you know oh. cover your ears kids fat up a pussy area oh. and so like The tech, (laughs) before the doctor comes in, the tech guy, assistant guy has to, like, tuck a towel under your undies and see, I got a lot of pubes and... Let me tell you, oh I was in pain before I even got the injection because they have to put all that sticky ultrasound stuff on you and then stick the ultrasound thing on you really hard mm. and tight and my pubes get, kept getting caught in it, <laughs> which is, like, so, A, embarrassing and, B, extremely painful because it's like getting your pubes plucked out once at a time, <laughs> like, and one at a time. And so, like, he's pushing this thing around, I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is so bad. My pubes, ow, ow. ow. Like if they told me I would have like shaved that portion, Mm. you know, and that that crease right between your thigh and your groin, it's really sensitive area. Oh, it's tender. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I was like, (laughs) guys, a bit of prep, like I could have, I could have, You know, anyway, so that really hurt. And then the doctor comes in and it all happens so fast. He's like, okay, so we're going to take an injection of local anaesthetic and stick that in. And then once that like wears, you know, in, Mm. we'll stick in the injection of um, they were putting something called um, cortisol. I wouldn't
1: have a clue. Cortisol is the stress hormone.
0: Cortisone? Cortisone. uh, I don't even know what they put in me. It's a steroid. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So they stick it in, I don't know, it's like some kind of steroid because then they see if it helps with the pain, that helps them pinpoint exactly where the problem I don't know. People's medical problems are boring. The point is they stuck in this local and that's meant to numb it and the doctor's like, okay, we'll just give that a second to, okay, let's go. Like they don't even <laughs> give it time to work. They just go then to stick in this huge <clears throat> long thing right in that crease between your thigh and your back uh, uh, <laughs> and he stuck it in and he's like okay so here's the he's like telling me what he's doing he's like here's the tricky part we've got to get it in deep enough that it is effective but we don't want to hit the bone so I'm just gonna and as he's saying that sentence uh, he hits the bone with uh, the needle and I am quite like I'm quite good with needles and stuff. I think this was the first time in my life that I actually wailed out in pain. Like I screamed in pain and I jerked up off the table and they try to stop you from panicking. So he was like, Oh, oh, Oh. whoopsie guess we went a bit far. I suppose I'll pull back. Like he's just laughing and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh Oh my God. It's like, I think it was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced, but only it lasts like a second. But, um, and then you have to lie there while he, you know, injects all the stuff in, which feels very weird because it's an area of your body that's not mm. used to having that Foreign much. Foreign objects. Yes. Mm. So that. Mm. And then actually the amazing thing was for I would say about two hours, I was completely pain-free because of the local. And mm. I was like, well, geez, if you had waited five effing minutes, <laughs> I wouldn't have felt that effing needle. But anyway, mm. and... I have had such bad pain in my hip like I for the last six months especially I've barely been able to walk like more than 50 meters I've struggled with stairs like I've been in so much pain everywhere I go and for two hours I was like oh my god. I can't feel my hip. And I was like, well, this solves my problem. I just need a local every day. Like this is all I need. And so I just went for a a long walk around Adelaide because I couldn't believe how much I could walk. Um, But then it wore off and then I was in a lot of pain (laughs) because they say for a few days after you get this hip injection, you're in a lot of pain. And anyway, this is a long winded way of me explaining why we couldn't record the podcast again <laughs> on time. It's my fault all the times. So uh, I'm sorry. I've just been I don't know, it's like it all comes in waves, doesn't it? Stuff it does, like yes. this. Yes, rule of threes, so, yes, exactly. disasters
1: happen in threes. So I feel you like your I had Perth incident, you had the Perth lockdown, um, drag anxiety race flare incident. up,
0: mm. then the hip. And so now we're good to go, I think. We're good <sighs> to go, no?
1: We're good, yeah. And thank you so much for sharing all those gory, gory graphic (laughs) details that no one was asking for.
0: No, no one needed to know about the hip, but I do think people needed to um, hear about the anxiety thing. I think it's important for people to admit that stuff. I think people, you know, get very, um, I think it's interesting that yesterday I felt not really any guilt about saying to you guys, I'm so sorry, I've got this physical thing, my Mm. hip really hurts. I had this procedure. We can't record. I felt so easy about telling you guys that, but Mm -hmm. whenever it's anxiety stuff, I always feel so embarrassed. And I'm like, oh my God, I I can't record today and it's nothing, it's just anxiety. And it's like, but that's just as serious as anything else, you know. Oh, and,
1: totally. Yeah. And I mean, we so all have I, that internalised stigma that we attach to it. Even you, yeah. someone who's always been so oh. open about your experiences with your health, physical and mental. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so, I
0: yeah. I did put up a long Instagram thing that I wrote in the notes app, like a real celebrity, mm. where I just talked about how I'd been feeling about my anxiety that week and how often the anxiety is bad, but what makes it even worse is the guilt and frustration you feel about having it at all and how it affects your life and how like when it stops me from feeling like I can do things like recording this podcast, which is something I love doing more than anything. It's, it makes me so mad, but you know, you have to get to a place where you accept that some days you have to step back, take care of yourself and that way you can keep going. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's always good to be transparent about that sort of stuff. And, of course, everyone on the team, myself included, 100% understands. Yeah, I know. From my point of view, I truly believe mental health and physical health, it's all health. It's all bundled together and it's all as legitimate as each other. Mm, that yes. Was p- terrible phrasing on my part, but you, know but you what? understand what I mean.
0: Well, we're a bit rusty because we haven't done this in like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> three weeks or something. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Okay. So, shall we um, go into oh, my gosh, I've got because it's been a while, I've got some breaking news just bonanza for you. Are you ready? Okay, go. <gasps> Breaking news, a breaking news. I got the scope of CX-ray, X-ray, read all about it. A breaking news. Okay. This is my favorite bit of breaking news from the last few weeks that has honestly given me so much joy every time I've read about it and there was an update on it that I'm just so happy about. Did you read about Prancer the Chihuahua?
1: No. no. Okay.
0: <laughs> this is I, I have to read this whole thing to you because it's just you need the effect of, of hearing the whole thing. Okay? okay. So this woman who fosters dogs, puppies, and stuff until they find their forever homes mm-hmm. had this dog called Prancer the Chihuahua that nobody wanted. And mm-hmm. she kept trying to get Prancer rehomed. And she's like, I I I I'll just read to you. This was like her final at the end of her rope. I don't know what to do. I just need someone to take Prancer
1: post. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. here we
0: go. (laughs) Okay, I've tried. I've tried for the last several months to post this dog for adoption and make him sound palatable. The problem (laughs) is... The problem is he's just not. <laughs> there's not a very big market for neurotic, man-hating, animal-hating, children-hating dogs that look like gremlins. But I have to believe there's someone out there for Prancer because I am tired and so is my family. <laughs> every, every day we live in the grips of the demonic chihuahua hellscape he has created in our home. <laughs> If you own a chihuahua, you probably know what I'm talking about. He's literally the chihuahua meme that describes them as being 50% hate and 50% tremble. (laughs) If you're intrigued and horrified at how this animal sounds already, just wait, there's more. Uh. (laughs) Prancer came to me obese Wearing a cashmere sweater with a bacon, egg and cheese stuffed in his crate with him. I should have known in that moment this dog would be a problem. He was owned by an elderly woman who treated him like a human and never socialized him. Sprinkle in a little genetic predisposition for being nervous and you've concocted a neurotic mess, (laughs) a.k.a. prancer. (laughs) His first week he was too terrified to have a personality As awful as it sounds I kind of liked him better that way He was quiet and just laid on the couch Didn't bother anyone I was excited to see him come out of his shell And become a real dog I am convinced at this point He is not a real dog But more like (laughs) a vessel for a traumatised Victorian child That now haunts our home (laughs) Prancer only likes women Nothing else He hates men More than women do Which says a lot If you have a husband Don't bother applying Unless you hate him Prancer has lived With a man For six months And still has not Accepted him He bonds to a woman Slash women And takes his job Of protection Seriously He offers better protection Than capital security This also extends To other animals Have other dogs Cats Don't apply Unless they like Being shaken up By a rag doll By by a 13 pound rage machine This may be confusing to people As he currently lives with my Seven other dogs and 12 cats That's because we have somewhat Come to an agreement that it's wrong To attack the other animals But you know that episode of The Office Where Michael Scott silently whispers I'll kill you to Toby That's Prancer having to begrudgingly Coexist with everyone when I'm around we also mentioned no kids for Prancer. I think at this point you can imagine why. He's never been in the presence of a child, but I can already imagine the demonic noises and shaking fury that would erupt from his body if he was. Prancer <laughs> wants to be your only child. So what are his good traits? Can't be real. <laughs> He's loyal beyond belief. Although to tell you a secret, his complex is really just a facade for his fear. If someone tried to kill you, I can guarantee he would run away screeching. (laughs) But as far as for companionship, you will never be alone again. He likes to go for car rides. He is housebroken. He knows a few basic commands. He is quiet and non-destructive when left alone at home. And even though we call him baloney face, he is still kind of cute to look at. He also smiles when he is excited. His ideal home would be a single woman, a mother and daughter, or a lesbian couple. You can't live in an apartment or condo unless you want him to ankle bite your neighbours. We already addressed the men and children situation. If you have people over, he would have to be put away like he's a vacuum. I know finding someone who wants a Chucky doll in a dog's body is hard, but I have to try. (laughs) Prancer is available through and she gives the name. He is in New Jersey but can be adopted anywhere. If you've always wanted your own haunted Victorian child in the body of a small dog that hates men and children, please email me. Oh, and also, he's only two years old and will probably live to be 21 through pure spite, so take that into account if you're interested. So (laughs) this description of Prancer along with a photo of him and he truly does look... Like the ugliest, scariest chihuahua I've ever seen went viral. Like everyone was like, how is this real? This cannot be real. But then because it went viral, so many offers came through to adopt Prancer. And I am happy to tell you that Prancer has found a home. (laughs) Oh. Um, it's a woman. I'm Googling
1: him now. He's actually really He's beautiful. Cute.
0: He's a, It's a woman called Ariel Davis, and she mm. said, I'm a single woman. I'm a single lesbian. I live with a female housemate. I don't have any men or children in my life. I work in a women's rehab. I don't have any other animals. It just felt like a perfect match. And it turns out it was... Prancer is now very happy, and you can go and follow him and Ariel on Instagram at Prancer the Chihuahua. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: that writing, that prose was just <mwah> delightful. Chef's
0: kiss, chef's kiss. It was, it was so, so good. So good <laughs> and just such a smart way to get that dog adopted because how else, how else?
1: Yeah, something that's going to go viral. I love the line about um, offers better protection than capital security. <laughs> As if that's hard.
0: But then if someone tries to kill you, he's like, yeah. <laughs> just runs. <laughs> oh, oh. All my love to Prancer and I've been following him on Instagram and it's just beautiful. He seems very happy now. Okay, next. I love this one too. So Paddington 2, the movie, which apparently is like a, I like, People love Paddington too. It's got um, Hugh Grant and the the animated sort of Paddington bear.
1: Oh, the bear, the bear, right.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Paddington 1 was like a kind of popular movie, but then for whatever reason, Paddington 2 is crazy popular. Mm -hmm. People say it's their favourite movie ever. It's become one of those random... I know, I've never seen it, but it's become just one of those random critically acclaimed movies that has become like kind of iconic. iconic. (laughs) 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 And last week, it took over Citizen Kane as the top, the greatest film... Top rated greatest film of all time on Rotten Tomatoes. Shut up. Yes. Truly. because Because, and here's the thing, there's only uh, six films that have got a 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating mm-hmm. and Rotten Tomatoes develops their rating by looking at every single um, review of the movie and adding all the stars that it's been given and giving mm-hmm. it an average. So there's only six films ever that have a 100% average Rotten Tomatoes rating, Mm -hmm. but then of those six films, they're ranked depending on like um, how many reviews have been written about them and like that's sort of how they average it all out. So Citizen Mm -hmm. Kane was sitting at number one and Paddington 2 was sitting at number two, which is crazy. Mm. But then in Hollywood the like review people who are in charge of all old media and stuff have been um, working really hard at going back through time, like way back to, you know, the 20s and looking at all physical old archived newspaper articles and copying out all the reviews and digitising them. So Mm -hmm. as all these reviews are getting digitised and added to the internet, Rotten Tomatoes, Scores are changing a little bit and one review came out about Citizen Kane that really panned it and hated it. (laughs) And it was like when (laughs) Citizen Kane first came out at the movies, this reviewer watched it and was like, didn't like it, thought it was shit, gave it a really low rating. And so then that bumped Citizen Kane down the list and now Paddington 2 is considered the greatest film of all time. (laughs) If you were going off the official ratings system. (laughs)
1: Um, That's hilarious and thank you for sharing that with us Um, I'm legitimately this weekend going to watch both movies because I've seen neither of them
0: No, me either
1: I'm going to see which one I prefer
0: And I would like to know why everybody raves about Paddington 2 People say it's the greatest film Hugh Grant's ever done Mm. So... I really should watch it.
1: Super curious. Um, And Citizen Kane's just Citizen Kane,
0: I guess. Everyone talks about it, so.
1: Yeah, I feel like I know a lot about it just from pop culture references, but I should probably actually take the time to watch it.
0: Well, yeah, I feel like I just know a lot about it because everyone says it's the greatest film of all time and I go, "Mm, yes, 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 it Mm, is, of course, mm, yes, I
1: agree. Mm, mm, mm. Unforgettable.
0: Oh, speaking of small, ugly dogs, we knew it. The woman who returned Lady Gaga's dogs to get the reward has been mm-hmm. charged with being involved with stealing the dogs.
1: Knew it. Called Knew it straight it. away. We
0: called it. It's exactly like that movie Ransom with Mel Gibson, where he gets on the news and says, I'm not gonna give you your ransom, kidnappers. I'm telling anyone who gives me you that they'll get the ransom. Mm-hmm. And that's what they that's what she did. And, and so smart.
1: Wow, so has all I knew was that she'd been arrested. Has yes. there been any and that was a few weeks ago?
0: Yeah, they've all been arrested. Everyone <laughs> who was involved have all been arrested. I don't know what else is happening, but mm-hmm. you know, I think, She tried to get the reward and wasn't particularly... What did she say? She just found them tied to a telegraph pole. That's what she said. She just found them on the street.
1: Likely story, lady.
0: Likely story. Mm. Um, Oh, next. So Australia has signed this big deal because we've been effing up our vaccine rollout so badly. Yesterday Mm. we signed like a $25 million deal to get Moderna, Dolly Parton's vaccine. We should have just got that (sighs) from the start.
1: Yes, I I knew I was waiting for a reason.
0: So we're getting Dolly to the rescue, of Mm -hmm. course. Thank you, Dolly. Um, And, you know, judging by the way our government's rolling it out, we'll all be vaccinated with that in 2027. So Terrific. Yay. Can't wait. Mm. And then, oh, Brittany has been saying lots more stuff.
1: Okay, walk us through it.
0: Well, I'm not going to walk you through it in heaps of detail because there's just so many... She's been posting a lot Mm. um, and that new documentary came out that I haven't watched yet, the one on BBC that you watched, which we can only watch (laughs) legally. So um, (laughs) anyway, um, and when that one came out, she released an Instagram post saying exactly what I said when we did our Free Britney episode, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't, that... All these people doing this free Britney stuff and all the people making these documentaries and getting really fixated on what they think is best for her and how best her life should be lived. She wrote an Instagram post saying, You're doing the exact same thing you're saying everybody else is doing. Just leave me alone. Mm. But then some people say she doesn't write that. So.
1: Yeah, a lot of people say that. Yes. Um, I I've been think paying she close attention to Billy B.
0: Yeah, but she says don't trust Billy B.
1: Yeah, and he says, well, she's saying literally the words I don't talk to Billy B, and apparently she doesn't actually call him Billy B anyway and anyone who was actually close to her would know that fact
0: see what I mean see how ridiculous this sounds like 90% (laughs) of the people listening right now like what are you talking about (laughs) like this thing goes so deep and in so many bizarre directions and down so many weird rabbit holes Mm -hmm. I think all we can do right now is just wait for her to talk at that court hearing on June what is it 24th or something
1: 23rd yeah I'm so scared she's been brainwashed I'm like it's been so long that she's been told again and again and again you need us. You need this team of conservators. You have to stay in this relationship because it's mutually beneficial. And I'm scared that she will say that she just wants everything to stay as it is.
0: Yeah. But I mean- But how do you know she's – maybe she truly does want everything. Like that's the thing. She can never win because what if she gets up at that court hearing in her right mind and says, I just want every – I'm happy with how things are and everybody goes. And so she's finally like, you've been asking me to tell you, I'm telling you, and then Mm -hmm. everyone will go, we don't believe you. You must be brainwashed. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter what she does. It's she's People are making judgment calls on what is going on in her head.
1: Oh, yeah, and they will just continue to look for things that confirm what they already believe.
0: Yes, Mm. so it's all just uh, its fascinating and messy and so much is going on. But, yeah, our episode on it definitely gives you a good kind of base level of understanding of what the dealio is if you do want to go down... Billy B style rabbit holes of which you can for many hours. Mm. <laughs> Trust me. Um, that was kind of all my break in news because um, we're recording another episode in just a couple of days. I thought I might save the rest for then. But I really want to talk about what chugy means. So we're going to get into that too.
1: Oh, okay. Apparently
0: Clip I'm, cho- I'm chugy oh, That's what my that niece a- says. It's a, it's a new thing that the kids, it's all to do with the kids.
1: If Alira said it, it can't be a good thing.
0: Well, yeah. It, anyway, <laughs> so that was it. That was breaking news. Uh, do, 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 breaking news. Do, 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 do. Oh, I think I forgot to say it's coming down the wire. I
1: think you did too. Yeah. But hey, you picked it up there. But <sighs> hey,
0: yeah. <clears throat> so that was it. Um, there we go. Prancer took up most of that, but it, it needed <laughs> it needed the spotlight and the time. So have to read that in full. I'm very excited about this week's topic. It was sent through to us as a suggestion to uh, podcast at gmail.com by a young 12-year-old listener of ours who's Mm -hmm. in year seven and his name is Tom and he emailed through and said he loved the podcast and he would very much like for us to do an episode on D.B. Cooper and I was like... Tom, yes, you're a genius because that's been on my list for a while. Thanks for reminding me. So this is thanks to Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. I'm going to give you just the gist of D.B. Cooper.
1: Is this a person or a car?
0: (laughs) D.B. Cooper is a person Uh and he committed a... what is the only successful hijacking of a plane in US history oh. where he actually got the ransom he asked for and escaped and they never caught him and to this day it remains the only unsolved, unpunished US plane hijacking ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get in.
0: It's a big mystery. Okay, here we go. It's 1971 mm. and catching a plane is pretty much like catching a bus or a train. You mm-hmm. literally turn up at the airport, you pay like 20 bucks for your ticket at the counter and you just go and get on the plane. That's mm-hmm. it. There's no security or anything. It's the same way you would catch a train now.
1: Everyone's smoking.
0: But, oh oh yes, everyone's smoking, everyone's drinking. But that meant, it's your dream. But that <laughs> meant plane hijackings were also very, very common. Like people, not, not like... Um, plane hijackings designed for terrorism reasons like is we sort of famously consider them now because of 9-11. That's the first thing you think of when you think of a plane being hijacked. But back then it was more like I've got a bomb, I want you to land this plane and bring me a big bag of money and fly me to Mexico. Like that was <laughs> kind of what people did. <laughs> um, but all these people got caught because nobody ever really had a plan beyond give me the money and fly me somewhere. Like Mm -hmm. they didn't have a plan of how they would get away or, but that didn't stop people trying because I'm, I looked up the stats and this is 1971, but Mm -hmm. between 1968 and 1972, there was a plane hijacking every five days. (laughs) (laughs) So this was like a problem they hadn't anticipated. Like, Commercial air flight travel had really taken off in the 50s and then it had really boomed in the 60s. So they were mm-hmm. like to the point where hundreds and hundreds of flights were you know, going a day mm. and this just became very common very fast. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know what to do about it. So they thought about maybe putting an air marshal on every plane in the country but they were like we would need thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of air marshals for that to work and also mm. what are they going to do if someone says they have a bomb like it's mm then they're just another person on the plane. And so they sort of actually just had to let them carry out and then they would catch the people at the point they could catch them which was usually mm. after they said take me to Mexico they'd get to Mexico they'd have no plan and they'd get off the plane with their money and like get shot or arrested like that's right. pretty much how all of these went <laughs> and every the flight, five days yeah and the <laughs> flight crews involved actually said like it was always a bit of fun in the end because you'd all spend a couple of days in Mexico and then you'd get pissed on the flight on the way home and it was like you got a little break <laughs> so um they were like you know whatever bring it So plane hijackings were super common, but nobody had cracked how to do it without getting caught Mm -hmm. until 1971, along comes D.B. Cooper. Mm -hmm. So it's Thanksgiving Eve, which is like the end of November, and that's a huge holiday in the U.S. that we Mm -hmm. don't have here. I think it's like similar to Christmas. Everybody sort of goes home to be with family or whatever, so it's very busy at the airport. And a man goes up to the counter at Portland Airport, and he buys a one-way ticket to Seattle, which is only a 30-minute flight. So, it's mm-hmm. kind of like um, Sydney to Dubbo, I think, is the only time I've done a flight that was less than an hour. Like, uh-huh. it's it's not a long flight at all. You're up and Easy. you're down. Yep. Yeah. And they think he picked that because um, the plane would not be very full because most people drive that distance. So... Mm-hmm. smart he puts his name down as Dan Cooper but you don't actually have to show ID when you buy a ticket you can just say your name is whatever so who knows witnesses later said he looked about mid 40s he was wearing a business suit with a tie he was covered in a beige kind of trench raincoat and carrying a briefcase like he looked very Mad Men. he looked mm-hmm. like he was from the show Mad Men mm-hmm. very classic 60s He takes a seat on the plane and orders a bourbon and soda and starts smoking, of course, because you could. Mm -hmm. Um, He's in the back row on his own because the plane was only a third full because this is generally the kind of trip that people would uh, drive. Mm -hmm. Um, And just as the flight is taking off at about 3 p.m., he hands a flight attendant called Florence a note. And Mm -hmm. this is the age when flight attendants all had to be very attractive, very young, single women. Like it was literally in their contracts, if they gained weight or got married, they'd be fired. So (gasps) like they got hit on all the time. It was just Mm. part of the job. Part of most airlines advertising campaigns was like, we have sexy flight attendants. Like, Mm -hmm. that was... So, getting given a note by a male passenger, she didn't even look at it. Like, she just assumed he was hitting on her, so she just put it in her pocket and kept Uh doing what she was doing. (laughs) And then he kind of flagged her down and said, Miss, you better take a look at that note. (laughs) I've got a bomb. (laughs) And she was like, "Oh, crap!" <laughs> Is that a so euphemism? she, oh. she uh, <laughs> so she freaks out and gives the note to the other flight attendant, Tina. Tina reads it and she can't remember exactly what it said because in one of the first signs that D.B. Cooper was smarter than usual, once Tina read the note, he made her give it back to him so there'd be no handwriting samples or fingerprints. But she says she can pretty much remember that it said, like, I have a bomb, this is a hijacking, come and sit next to me. So Mm -hmm. she does, he opens his briefcase and inside she sees, like, a very movie looking bomb. Like it's a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of red dynamite sticks with wires wrapped around them, connected Mm -hmm. to like a battery. She's like, you know, I looked at it and it look like a bomb. Mm -hmm. He closes the briefcase and he tells her what he wants. He says, I want $200,000 in $20 bills, which by the way, would only be like, $1.3 million today. So it's actually not even that much, but a lot of people say that he asked for that much because if he knew he was going to be like having to get away with it, he needed it to be easy to carry.
1: Okay. Right. Yep. So he
0: asked for $200,000 and $20 bills in a backpack. He asked for four parachutes, two primary and two reserved. And he asked for a fuel truck to be waiting at Seattle airport to refuel them for another takeoff when they get there. Mm. So she goes to the cockpit, tells the pilots, and when she gets back, he's put on dark sunglasses and he's just calmly sitting there. Mm-hmm. And he orders another drink and he pays <laughs> his tab. <laughs> and he, like, looks out the window and she says he's talking really politely about what they're flying over, so he seems to know the area. He even asks Tina to go and ask the pilots if um, he wants, if they want him to demand meals for them when they land in Seattle, like, do Mm. you guys want to eat before we take off again? She's like, I think (laughs) we're okay. Um, She asks if um, he has a grudge against their airline and he says, no, but I do have a grudge, and that's all he says about it. Um, Uh meanwhile, the pilots have called ahead to Seattle airport and they're like, um, hey, we've been hijacked. There's Mm. dude with a bomb and here's what he wants. So they tell the people at Seattle, the president of the airline tells the flight crew to cooperate completely and don't let the passengers know that anything is going on and the president of the airline organizes to get the $200,000 in $20 bills, which the local bank actually has already set aside um, in case there's ever a bank robbery. So these bills have been marked in sequential serial numbers so at Mm -hmm. least they might be able to track them, track the Mm -hmm. money one day if they ever can. Mm -hmm. So um, they organise that money. They organise for a fuel truck to be waiting at Seattle They try to organize the parachutes but this was actually the hardest thing for them to organize because like recreational skydiving wasn't a thing then Mm -hmm. yet really. Like Mm -hmm. some people did it but not really. So it took them a really long time. They went and got some army parachutes but he said no because I think he probably didn't know how to use them so then they had to get him regular parachutes. Mm -hmm. But in the end they find a place, they get four parachutes and this is where he was smart again because if he had just asked for one parachute, they could have just given him a dodgy one. Yeah. But asking for four, they were like, what if he's going to take hostages with him? We can't sabotage any of these parachutes because we might kill a hostage. So So smart, smart. again. Smart again. Oh, devious. Okay. I know. And this is all taking a while to get together, especially finding the parachutes. So the pilots have told the passengers who have no idea what's going on, that there's a mechanical issue on the plane. Mm-hmm. So they just need to circle the Seattle airport for a while until it's fixed. So the passengers mm-hmm. are like, okay, like free booze. It's the seventies. Mm-hmm. And after about two hours, they've got everything Cooper requested so they can finally land in Seattle Tina, the flight attendant, is sent to the backstairs of the aircraft to meet someone who was brought the bag of money and the parachutes. Mm -hmm. When D.B. Cooper has them, he's like, okay, good, and he agrees to let everybody off the plane and Florence, the flight attendant, so the only people left on the plane are him, Tina, the flight attendant, and the two pilots who as yet have not been out Mm -hmm. of the cockpit. While the plane is being refueled, D.B. Cooper tells his plan to Tina. Another smart move. He never lets the pilot see him, never lets them hear him talk. Mm-hmm. The only person he interacts with pretty much this whole time is Tina and he has sunglasses on for most of that time, so it would be hard for her to eventually describe him mm-hmm. to a sketch artist. So his plan is he would like for the plane to be flown in the direction of Mexico City. So they're currently in the north of the US and he wants them to head south. So it's kind of like Queensland to Melbourne, top of the yep. country to the bottom. Yep. And he wants them to fly as slow as possible as it is for a plane to fly. Mm -hmm. He also wants them to not go above 10,000 feet, which is the level that skydivers jump out of planes. Mm -hmm. It's also the level at which the air pressure inside the plane is still balanced with the outside. Mm -hmm. So if you open the plane door, things don't go haywire and people don't get sucked out. Yeah. So it's like a level at, cause planes I think don't they go up to like thirty or forty thousand feet. And that's the level at which if a window smashed, people would get sucked out the window. Yeah. But which he's used to I mean nightmares I don't, as a kid. Yes. <laughs> I don't understand like physics or mechanics of this stuff, but he's like, keep it at ten thousand feet because that's where I can open this mm-hmm. plane up and jump out and, and it it'll just be a bit windy, like it won't crash the plane or whatever. Mm-hmm. He also wants them to take off with the back stairs of the plane down. So back then um, the plane had a stairway that folded out of the plane down onto the ground for the passengers mm-hmm. to climb up to enter. So it's not like today where the plane pulls up to the side of the airport and connects to a tunnel. Like back then mm-hmm. the plane like had these stairs that went whoop, and then you walked up them and then the stairs folded back up into the plane. Mm-hmm. So he was like, I want those stairs down when we take off. And they're like, okay, obviously he's planning to jump. And mm-hmm. so Tina goes, tells the pilots and the pilots tell Tina, you need to tell him a couple of things. A, the plane physically cannot take off with those back stairs open. Like it just won't. So he'll mm-hmm. have to open them himself while we're flying. Mm-hmm. And two, even with the refueling, we don't have enough fuel to get to Mexico. Like we'd have to stop and refuel again somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he kind of says to them, guys, I'm not actually planning on going to Mexico. Like, I'm jumping out of this plane, so just Mm -hmm. fine, whatever. Don't go to Mexico, (laughs) just go as far south as the fuel will let you go. And so they kind of agree to go to Reno, which is like a city on the way to Mexico that's kind of Uh as far as they can get. And so once the plane is refueled, they (laughs) take off from Seattle and they start heading south Mm -hmm. with the two pilots, Tina and DB Cooper on board. And Tina sees Cooper cutting up one of the parachutes to tie the bag of money to himself because they um, hadn't brought it in a backpack like he'd asked. They'd brought Mm -hmm. it in a duffel bag and you can't really hold a duffel bag while you're skydiving. So he sort of Mm -hmm. had to rip this parachute apart and kind of fashion a kind of tying the duffel bag to himself. Mm-hmm. Then he puts on a parachute and he asks Tina to help him open the back staircase. But she's terrified because all of her training has taught her that she'll be sucked out of the plane the second that happens. Mm. She doesn't understand the 10,000 feet thing. She's like, I can't, I'm, I can't. And she says that he kind of, can't, he's kind and he notices how petrified she is and mm. he just says, you know what, don't worry about it, just go into the cockpit. And he says go in there with the pilots, shut the door, and none of you open that door or come out of the cockpit until you land the plane. Mm -hmm. And so that's what she does. That's the last time she sees him. And soon after, Tina and the two pilots see the little light go on that indicates that the back stairs have been opened. Uh And soon after that, they feel a sudden kind of jerk in the Mm. plane, which they assume was Cooper jumping off uh-huh. um, but they have to keep flying because they don't know it was him jumping off so mm-hmm. they have to keep flying until they land because he's he does still have this bomb that he could blow up at any time like uh-huh. if they don't do what he says but the pilot one of the pilots does radio through when they felt that jerk and says you know guys mark this spot because we think he just jumped out here like that's mm-hmm. what we think we felt mm-hmm. and then at ten fifteen p.m they land at Reno airport with the back stairs still down. Um, the FBI and police and guns and all SWAT teams are there ready because yeah. they, they're not entirely sure he jumped off the plane uh-huh. and they, you know, surround the plane, search it. He's not on it. He has jumped. Uh-huh. The bomb is gone. The money is gone. Oh, he, he took the bomb. Gone. Well, oh. I suspect he probably just chucked it out the window before yeah, he jumped. Right. You know, like uh-huh. he's gone. All they find is a clip-on tie that he'd removed before he jumped (laughs) and um, his cigarettes that he'd put out in his little ashtray in his chair, but he'd handled them all in such a way that his fingerprints weren't on any of them. Uh (laughs) They immediately start searching on the ground, like Mm. um, where he could have landed, but there is zero trace of him. There's a few theories for this initially. They think maybe he was burned up by the back engine the second he jumped out. Oh, no. (laughs) I know. But but they did some tests with some dummies and stuff and found that that probably wouldn't be the case because that Uh didn't happen when they did the tests. Um, The other theories are that he jumped and died, kind of like the cocaine bear guy, Mm -hmm. or that he jumped and survived. But, like, it was just almost impossible to find anything because the area was so vast like this is why he was such a genius about it like even when they tried to look from the place where they felt the plane jerk like if the wind had been blowing that way he could have gone that way or if they'd Mm. been a couple of degrees that way you're looking in a 800 square kilometer wrong bit of place like Mm -hmm. it was just so it was like a needle in a haystack Mm -hmm. also the the funny thing is they had um sent out two like fancy army jet like fighter jets yeah. to fly at like 40,000 feet or like above the plane so they could keep an eye and watch out for when he jumped. Uh-huh. But because the, he told the plane it had to go so slow, the fighter jets literally could not go that slow. So they kept like going too fast oh, and then having to turn around and come back. So back. they just missed it. They, they never saw anything. They were just useless. It's Wow. No he f-
1: thought of everything. He thought
0: of everything. He He's an industry everything. insider. Well, yeah, he this must is, there's a lot of theories. So it's um, also November because it's Thanksgiving, so it's very – that's their winter, so it's very cold. It had been snowing. If he'd survived the jump, he would have, you know, been in the elements. It's nighttime. Like it, he – picked a parachute that didn't steer. So they also think he doesn't know a lot about diving because one of the parachutes you could steer it and one Mm -hmm. of them you couldn't and he picked the one that you couldn't. Mm -hmm. And they were like, it's pitch black, it's cold. He could have landed on a spiky tree, like he, but so they're just like, he probably just died somewhere, mm-hmm. but they don't find anything. They don't find a body, they don't find money, they don't find mm-hmm. a parachute, they don't find anything. Mm-hmm. And so this is where people are like, oh, my God, like he's a genius and mm. D.B. Cooper got away with it. And he kind of becomes a bit of a folk hero at this point, which was mm. helped along by the very famous like criminal sketch Headshot of him from Tina's description, mm-hmm. which you know, you just Google DB Cooper, it's the first thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. It was a time of like mass unemployment. The government was sort of, this was the first time ever that the area of the era of like the American factory, which is where most lower class and middle class people made their livings, all those jobs were beginning to be sent overseas. Mm-hmm. A lot of jobs that people did were starting to become like robotic and mechanicalized. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were, for the first time in their life, struggling with employment, had no money, felt like they were being ripped off. And so people were like, yes, he effing stuck it to them and he got away with it. Good on him. He needed the money and he was smart and he pulled it off. So Mm -hmm. he kind of becomes this hero. And the FBI kept track of like casinos, racetracks and other places where criminals often do big cash transactions to try Mm -hmm. and swap their bad money out with good money. Mm -hmm. But none of the $20 bills with the serial numbers that they had given him ever showed up anywhere they looked Uh and as years went by there were a bunch of suspects I'll go over a couple but there was nothing ever serious so D.B. Cooper just kind of becomes this legend. And the funny thing is his name wasn't even D.B. Cooper. When he checked in at the airport, he put his name down as Dan Cooper. Mm. And then in the immediate reporting after the um, hijacking, one media organisation just accidentally called him D.B. Cooper and that became the thing that stuck.
1: Oh, wow. So
0: that's just a weird detail. It wasn't even <laughs> his name. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> The 70s were wild.
0: I know, okay. I know. <laughs>
1: Banks were ready to be robbed. Planes were ready to be hijacked every couple of days.
0: I know. Names and
1: details.
0: Meh. So then, 1980, almost nine years after the hijacking, an eight-year-old boy called Brian was camping with his dad... And he found three stacks of $20 bills in a riverbed totaling Mm $5,000. And Brian's dad was like, hmm, this seems dodgy. Plus, they're all pretty damaged and unusable. So, we might as well not keep them. Let's call the police. Mm -hmm. So, the FBI swoop in and they match the serial numbers of the bills given to D.B. Cooper that night. So, these are bills from D.B. Cooper. Uh Now, this sends people nuts because they're like, is it proof that he died and the money just fell from the sky? Mm -hmm. But if it is, why is there only three little stacks equaling $5,000, where's the Mm. rest? Because he had Mm $200,000. And then they were like, did he bury this later to throw people off the trail? Mm. Because when scientists tested the riverbed, they found a clear bit of like sediment that dated back to 1974, so two years Mm -hmm. after the hijacking, and the stack of money had been found on top of that. So the stack Uh of money had to have been buried later than 1974. Uh Uh-huh. So there's a lot of people also, I won't go into it because this is just the gist, who like followed the direction the rivers flowed and where it could have landed and how it could have been, but Mm. it really does seem like that money was buried there on purpose. It certainly did not land there in 1971 because otherwise it would have been under that certain level of mud in the river. So they eventually keep some of the bills as evidence, but little Brian gets to keep $3,000 of the bills. (laughs) And funnily enough, this is crazy. He sold just 15 of them. So that's $15, $20. That's $150 mm. of the $20 bills. He sold in 2008 for $38,000. <laughs> yeah. So he only sold 15 of the stacks, hundreds that he's got, and he made $38,000. So, because oh, wow. DB Cooper is such a famous story. Like, when he sells all those bills, if he ever does, he's going to make a lot of money.
1: He's sitting on a gold mine. Yeah, wow. he is. He is.
0: Uh-huh. Over the years, there have been a lot of suspects, especially ones that look like that famous sketch. We don't need to go into a lot of detail because there's so many of them, but mm. um, there's this documentary that came out last year called The Disappearance of D.B. Cooper, Um I highly recommend you watch it. It goes, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the latest documentary to have come out and they had a few intriguing suspects that I thought were probably the most likely, so I'll just tell you about those few. Mm -hmm. So... There's one woman whose last name is Cooper and when she was a child she remembers late one night her uncle coming home covered in blood and her dad and his, uh, her other uncle like rushing him out of a car and saying, oh, it's none of your business, go back to bed and mm. after that he just disappeared and she never saw him again and later her dad told her that's because he um, had to hide because he had hijacked the plane that night and the police were looking for him. So she's (laughs) always believed that her uncle was D.B. Cooper and what Uh happened that night was that he had landed somewhere, hurt himself. They nursed him back to health and then he ran away. There's another suspect, a trans woman who Mm -hmm. loved flying but was never able to get her commercial license because she was trans. Mm -hmm. And she insinuated to friends one night that she had made herself look like what she used to look like when she still presented as male Mm -hmm. and she carried out the hijacking because she was pissed off at the aviation industry for not Uh accepting her when she transitioned into a woman, Mm -hmm. Um, which makes sense because of what D.B. Cooper had said to Tina that night, I, have I don't a have a grudge against your airline, but I do have a grudge. Mm. And to order, and like they were all sort of hanging out and getting a bit pissed. And um, and so they got her to style herself in a way that she would look like a man, like when she used to mm. look like a man. And when she did, they could not believe how much she looked like the criminal sketch of
1: uh-huh.
0: DB Cooper. <laughs> there was another woman who was married to a guy. This is the one that I think is maybe most likely. Mm-hmm. And on his deathbed, he admitted to being DB Cooper, then he died. Mm-hmm. And so she goes digging after that and realizes that she wasn't even married to who she thought he was. He had a totally different identity. Then she finds like this you know, safety deposit box where he had hidden all these other IDs. So he was Mm. clearly like doing some dodgy stuff that she never quite knew about. And Mm. so then she started going back over her memories in a different way, like trying to decipher things over the years. And she remembered this one trip they went on where he was pointing out lots of things to her to do with the D.B. Cooper case. Like, oh, Mm. I bet, you know, if he had jumped from the plane, that's exactly where he would have come out of the woods. And I bet if this happened, that's where he would have gone. And she was like, Mm. hmm that's interesting. And that (laughs) night um, they were on a road trip and he said he had to go somewhere in the middle of the night and she was like, okay. And he comes back and he seems really thrilled and he tells her they've just come into a lot of money. Mm. And then he says, but some of it was damaged, so he threw it into the river. And she remembers like not really knowing what he was talking about but mainly being annoyed that he had littered the river because she's like, Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to do that. And they got into (laughs) an argument about that. And a few months later was when little Brian found the stacks of money and it was directly downriver from where her husband had thrown it. Uh Uh-huh. So a lot of people think that that's proof that he went and dug up the money, couldn't believe he had, like most of it was fine and Uh he threw away the ones that were damaged.
1: Wow. But
0: nothing's Uh. ever been enough. Like, nothing's ever been conclusive. None of these suspects have ever been considered by the FBI likely enough to be arrested. Um, Every single family member or friend who thinks that they're the one connected to D.B. Cooper mm-hmm. truly believes that they are right and that they know, like, every single person they talk to in this documentary is like, my uncle was D.B. Cooper, my husband was db cooper my Mm -hmm. father like they're all entirely certain so i mean not only do we not know who he is there are several people who insist they do know who he is which Mm. makes it even less likely that we know who he is because there's just it can't be seven different guys like
1: yeah so many people want to have hands on it um is the trans woman still alive
0: um no i don't think so because in the documentary they only talked to her friends who were there that night
1: Okay, and they fully believed that it was her.
0: Yeah, they fully believed it was her.
1: Okay, and then the is Tina still alive?
0: A lot of people really think it was her. Um, Tina's still alive. They interview her in this documentary. She's so cool. Mm. Like she remembers all of it so well. She's surprisingly young because back she was only 20 when this happened. She was a flight Mm. attendant then. Um, One of the coolest details is um, when he gets the money, he like offers her like two stacks of the $20 bills. And he says, here, do you want to take this? And she said, we're not allowed to accept tips. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love Tina. (laughs) Tina doesn't really have a theory on who she thinks it is. Like she just knows what, you know, she remembers what he looked like, um, remembers that he was just very calm and lovely and not like anything she imagined a hijacker would be. Mm. But it's really fascinating hearing her tell the story. They also interview the pilots, but, I mean, they never really saw him. They were always they were just in the yeah. cockpit the whole time. So mm. she's really the most fascinating one to hear talk about the whole thing.
1: Can I ask a question about yeah. all of them, Tina and the pilots? Was this the first and only time that they experienced a hijacking or was it the sort of thing that, like, I'm just imagining if it happened so frequently, surely you'd end up having it happen to you once, twice, No, three I think times. it
0: was because um, it's, it did happen frequently, but also that is in the context of there being like thousands of flights a week mm-hmm. just in America. So one hijacking every five days, you'd, thi- you'd think it would double up, but I think mm. percentage-wise it's not likely. Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: And did they introduce any security measures from this point? Checking Um, for bombs?
0: A little. Um, I mean, but, you know, you and I remember what flying was like before 9-11. Like, it Mm. still wasn't even, there wasn't that much. I mean, you put your bag through the thing and you walked through the beepy thing, but that was it. Mm. So, um, I mean, I remember, oh, I don't want to get Griffith Airport in trouble, but I remember getting a plane from... Griffith Airport which is a tiny little city in New South Wales to Sydney and um, I had a carry-on bag with me and I just walked straight from the airport to the plane and that was like four years ago and nobody mm. checked it it didn't get scanned <laughs> I could have I mean am I oh, I'm gonna end up on a no-fly list I shouldn't but like <laughs> not that I was doing anything but I just remember being like oh wow like we're pretty lax here in, in old Griffith <laughs> No one's checking nothing, but, um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of stuff did like security kind of happened over the years, but not entirely because of this case specifically as hijackings became, because there are a lot of copycat hijackings after this too. One particular guy who pretty much copied it to like the exact details, a guy who's, uh, I forget his first name, but his last name's McCoy. And a lot of people are uh, sure that he was DB Cooper and mm. that he had lost the money on the way down and then tried to do it again a year later. But then he got caught and I was like, but DB Cooper didn't get caught. So like, and mm. this guy did, so I don't think it's him. But um, so there's a lot of copycat ones after this. But yeah, like security, I think, became more of a prominent issue in later years, mm-hmm. particularly after 9-11, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the aviation industry is, if you watch any episode of Air Crash Investigations, notorious for never solving any problems until the absolute worst thing happens. Mm -hmm. So, like, you watch those episodes of Air Crash Investigations where they're like, you know, uh, this plane crashed and 300 people died and that was the first time we thought to fix this tiny problem that was very cheap and we knew was an issue, but we never figured anything bad would happen until it did and then they fix it, so... (laughs)
1: I've never seen that show, but no wonder people never want to fly again after they I'm watch obset-
0: it. I love air crash investigation. I could watch it all day. I love it. That is a <laughs> dream like veg day of mine, just staying on the couch, watching air crash investigations. Love it. <laughs> so, you know, um, the FBI officially closed the case in 2016 mm. and just said we they were actively trying to solve it until 2016 and then they uh-huh. were just like, we don't have the money to, to do this anymore. Like, obviously, if people find things like bits of parachute or which I think a bit of parachute was found on some, some guy's farm, but it led nowhere, you know, obviously we'll accept clues and evidence and tips, but we are no longer actively investigating this. We have to say that this case is closed and it is unsolved.
1: 45 years they kept looking. <sighs>
0: wow. It was even thought during, um, did you watch Mad Men, the show? No. So during Mad Men, the lead character, um, Don Draper, is like this mysterious guy. Nobody quite knows where he comes from or what his story is. And for a long time leading up to the finale of Mad Men, people thought Mad Men was going to end with Donald Draper getting into a plane and ending up D.B. Cooper because he looks a little bit like the sketch. Mm. Um, And it was also, I love this, insinuated on 30 Rock a bunch of times that Kenneth was D.B. Cooper because you know how he had that mysterious thing where he's character was like 500 years old and no one really knew where he came from and yeah. so there was a lot of inside jokes about Kenneth being DB Cooper.
1: Okay well I'm gonna have to rewatch the entire <laughs> series to pick up on all of those now that I know the story. Yeah um, but this no one is knows. one of my Case favorite episodes we've ever done. This is such a great story. <laughs> yeah
0: that's why I'm so glad that um, uh, Tom. Tom reminded us because it's been mm. on my list for a while and I sort of kept putting it off and yeah, they just, they don't know. And so theories abound, which is why I sort of said, I'll give you the main ones, but um, because we're just the gist, I cannot tell you every single suspect because there are so many. Like the the FBI narrowed down, I think something like 4,000 suspects to like 20, and then they narrowed those 20 down to some others. But then that's not even including internet sleuths, like armchair, um, you know, detectives who mm. all have their own theories. Like you could spend days days on the internet reading through people's theories about who db cooper is and i swear to god at the end of every theory you read you will be convinced that that is the person until you mm. read another one like mm-hmm. over the course of researching this i've been convinced it's seven different people
1: <laughs> I can't. So- In-
0: including kenneth from 30 rock so i cannot decide <laughs> <laughs> i cannot decide
1: is that documentary that you recommended, do you think that's the best one to start off with if we want to dive in a bit more?
0: I think so, yes. Yeah. So it's called The Disappearance of D.B. Cooper. It came out last year. Um, it's not on any of the streaming services, but it only costs $5 to rent on Apple or YouTube. So it's only mm-hmm. five bucks. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's the newest one and it goes into the detail of the story. It has a great interview with Tina, who's awesome, the flight attendant. And then it also goes into a lot of detail of who they think the main most likely suspects are. And I literally could not decide out of them which one was more like. They all seem as likely as each other. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's a great documentary. We give you just the gist, but if you want more, watch that. Mm -hmm. I also listened to um, the How Stuff Works. Is that what it's called? No, Stuff You Should Know. Stuff Mm -hmm. You Should Know podcast um, episode about it, which is really helpful. There's a bunch of podcast series that have done like a whole, like, you know, 10, 12-part series Mm -hmm. on it. So we'll list all of those. If you want to really sort of... um, Quick rundown, the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode on YouTube's really good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of resources. I'll put in the show notes because um, you could go deep on this. <laughs> I'm and so people invested. are people are desperate to solve it. But the thing is, I think it's one of those things that it's kind of like Jean-Bernet Ramsey in that a lot of people have very likely theories. But because of the main players now being Mm. deceased or too much time having passed, I don't think it's one that we'll ever get to the bottom of. Mm. No matter how likely the theories are, no matter how close to the truth they may seem, I don't think we'll ever truly know.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people who just never be satisfied and they probably don't even want it to be resolved, really.
0: No, because then where's the fun? Where's the community? People found community, like, researching this and having theories on it and all that. So it's, you know, fun for people to research and look into, but yeah. it's nuts. It's a good so one. So great.
1: I love this. I know. So and I'm what watching a genius he was. This-
0: he thought of every tiny detail. That's the thing that blows my mind is he literally thought of every detail.
1: Which is why I think the um, the trans woman... Who was working in the aviation industry mm-hmm. is a likely candidate because there were so many things that you would have to have inside knowledge to consider.
0: Yes. Yes. Mm. So there you go.
1: I'm watching that this weekend. I'm watching Citizen Kane and I'm watching Paddington <laughs> the Bear 2
0: <laughs> this weekend. You got a big one, a big, glamorous <laughs> a one ahead of you. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, um, that was this week's app. Um, this is coming out. Monday, Monday, yes. And then we're recording again on Tuesday, so then you'll have another one this Friday um, again on the regs. Mm -hmm. And um, we're back to regular programming. So Provided there's no further
1: mishaps, which I'm sure there will not be. I'm
0: sure there will not be. Thanks for being patient with our um, little mini unexpected break. I very much appreciate it. But, yeah, we're back and... Thanks, Tom, for reminding us about DB Cooper.
1: Thank you, Tom. Thank okay, you, Rosie. Bye. Love you. Bye.
0: Listener.